Hi, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and in each episode, I will discuss and explore the key challenges facing family businesses today. As a family business advisor, I'm passionate about helping families to overcome the complex and unique challenges that come from being in business together. So if what I cover in the show resonates with you, I'm here to help, and I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me at fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. You can also sign up to the newsletter there and receive the latest blogs, podcasts and videos directly in your inbox. I would like to thank my friends at the Institute for Family Business for their continuing support for what I'm doing with this show. The IFB is a unique community of family businesses with common challenges, interests, values and goals. To find out more about their work, visit ifb.org.uk. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Family Business Podcast. I am joined on this episode of the show by Fiona Graham. Now, regular listeners to the show will have heard Fiona in the past. But Fiona, firstly, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me back. No problem at all. And for those that may not come across our previous conversations, can you just give us a bit of an introduction as to who you are and what you do? can indeed. So I'm Fiona Graham. I am the Director of External Affairs and Policy at the Institute for Family Business or the IFB. So the IFB is um, a growing network for family businesses. Um, We represent family firms. We were founded about 20 years ago um, by a group of family business owners who wanted somewhere to get together to support each other with the common challenges that that go along with running a family business, the kinds of things that you talk about on your podcast every week, succession, engaging your next generation family communication that kind of thing Um, and we have grown and expanded from there Um, we firmly believe that family businesses offer a model of responsible and sustainable business that needs to be acknowledged and supported and championed and so that's what we're doing in our work with our network we're trying to create a better and more prosperous and sustainable future for family businesses my role within that is I, um, as Director of External Affairs and Policy, I am the person engaging with policymakers um, and politicians and going out and kind of banging the drum for family firms with those people, making sure that their unique needs and perspectives are understood by politicians when they're making policy and decisions on tax, which we may come on to, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And given, um, so we are recording this during Family Business Week. So we'll come on to talk a little bit more about um, what Family Business Week is in a second. We're recording this on the Monday and the episode is going to be released on the Wednesday. And I think part of the reason behind that was there were certain things happening in the run up to um, our conversation. And let's be honest, neither of us really knew whether we'd be called up to have our turn as um, PM. Uh, for this week. So I, I think we needed to, to make sure we were recording this in very good time. And t- just given some of the instability, I think we could summarise it as, h- how's that impacted your role? Because you're dealing with policymakers, and yet they seem to change quite often at the moment. I'm not going to pretend it has been the easiest time for somebody in a role like mine. Um, 
But I think the bigger concern is the impact that it has on the businesses and the instability, the kind of impact that instability has on confidence and then plans that people are waiting for. You know, if the government says they're going to work on something that's very important for a certain sector, for example, and then there's a leadership election or a change of prime minister without a leadership election, um, that then kind of hugely disrupts that work within the within the government, within the civil service, because obviously there's a delay then. So personally, it has been, let's say, an interesting time, uh, as the proverb goes, but um, more worrying than that is kind of the impact that it's had on businesses and their confidence. Yeah, and again, we'll come back to some of the more recent um, events and announcements and the autumn statement and things like that. But as I mentioned, we're recording this during Family Business Week to be released during Family Business Week. Um, it's now your second year of um, hosting Family Business Week, but can you tell us again a little bit more about the aims for the week and um, importantly how the audience can get involved? So as you say, this is our second Family Business Week, the first one last year. We really wanted to, after two very difficult years for business, really wanted an opportunity to celebrate and champion all the amazing work that family businesses had been doing during the pandemic going above and beyond but actually also then to demonstrate that that is kind of the way that family businesses operate all the time yes they step you know some people really step things up during the pandemic whether that's supporting a food bank or you know pivoting their business to produce hand sanitizer or PPE or whatever it might have been but actually family businesses are always going that extra mile um, whether that's in their local community or supporting charities or supporting their own employees so we wanted to launch Family Business Week to celebrate the sector um, because family businesses are doing amazing work but they're busy doing that work and they don't always shout about it and we felt it was really important for them to get the recognition that they deserved and also to demonstrate to politicians and policymakers and kind of other business groups and kind of the broader business community and then also the general public like actually family business is an incredible model when you are looking at championing responsible businesses let's look at what family businesses are doing what should other types of businesses be emulating so the first year was really successful the then chancellor rishi sunak was tweeting about it um we had lots of great support from across kind of the political spectrum but also from different sectors and lots of businesses got involved so the first year was great and then this year what we're really looking at is the theme of celebrating our place in the world so we are looking at the kind of ways that family businesses go above and beyond to support their local communities so whether that is through how they are supporting a local sports team or what they're doing in the natural environment or all sorts of ways that they are doing that and celebrating specific stories but also showing how the sector as a whole continues to do this and encouraging other businesses to do uh, to get involved and to share their stories as well we supported again this year by NatWest and that's really great to have their support for this campaign as well. Um, in the run up to our the week itself, which is this week, we have been going around the country, um, meeting businesses, holding events in different parts of the UK, talking about kind of what makes those businesses in that area special and also some of the challenges that they're facing. And Russ, you very kindly joined us in Bristol for that as well, um, which was a great event and a great evening. Um, we then during the week tomorrow night, so 
Tuesday, yesterday for people listening, <laughs> um, we have a reception in Westminster where we have the business small business minister and shadow small business minister coming along to share their thoughts about the sector and bringing together kind of a large group of businesses and advisors and you know people who care about and support family businesses, which is really important and special and is kind of a new thing this year for the second year. And then throughout the week, we are sharing case studies online of what businesses are doing. We are encouraging people to make as much noise on social media as possible. We are encouraging MPs to visit their family businesses in their constituency and get to know them because I think that's a really important part of the week as well. And then we're kind of talking to the media and sharing some stories through that as well. Um, If people who are listening haven't heard of Family Business Week before, which I'm sure isn't the case. But if that is, and they still want to get involved, I'd suggest that people look at getting involved on Friday, which is hashtag Family Business Friday, where we're really encouraging as many people to share stories as possible and get involved on social media. And um, I think that, you know, it's going to be kind of this culmination of the week where there's going to be a lot of activity. So it's very exciting. It's Obviously, it's kind of Monday lunchtime now, so we're only only a few hours into the week, but already the kind of uptake on social media has been incredible. And we're so so pleased to see so many people getting involved and supporting it. And I think it just shows that the message really resonates and that actually there's a huge amount of love out there for family businesses that it's just nice to kind of hear people talking about publicly. Absolutely. And I think uh, uh, given the backdrop of, of what's happening at the moment in that it is... There is a little bit of um, perhaps doom and gloom around. I think it's really important to focus on all of these positive elements and the positive contributions that family businesses are having, not just in, I know Family Business Week is is the UK, but across the world in terms of the the positive impact that family businesses can have. And I think you touched on a point earlier around the fact that because family businesses are busy doing this stuff, it doesn't necessarily get celebrated as publicly as perhaps it could do. And Family Business Week for me is a really important opportunity for everybody to do as much as they can to try and celebrate the family business sector because it is, A, it's a huge sector, uh, and B, it's a hugely positive sector that can have a hugely positive impact on um, society as a whole. So I would encourage everybody listening to get involved if you're listening to this on, say, Wednesday when the, the podcast episode is released, you've got a couple of days until Family Business Friday to start planning how you're going to get involved on the social media side of things. So I would uh, encourage um, that. The other thing I was going to say is um, a lot of the businesses that you know we talk to who are doing these exceptional things kind of have said, oh, but it's just the way, it's just something we've always done. And it, yes. it's actually really important for family businesses to recognize how exceptional a lot of the stuff that they're doing is. Yes, you've always done it, but a lot of people out there aren't doing these kinds of things. And actually there's, you know, sharing your story might actually encourage other people to do it as well. So it's not just about kind of getting a pat on the back, but that's very well deserved. You definitely should get that. But it's also how you can inspire other businesses to do more and to go further, I think is really important because a lot of what these businesses are doing is completely achievable for other businesses as well, if they just put their mind to it and decided to do it. So hopefully Mm. we can encourage some kind of action in that way as well. Yeah, completely agree. Um, and are there any particular hashtags that um, people should be following? So you've got hashtag Family Business Friday. Is it hashtag Family Business Friday? Family Biz Friday? Family Biz Friday and hashtag Family Biz Week. 
um, and you can follow it on social. It's at Family Biz Week on Twitter. Excellent. And we will link all of those up in the useful links section of the show notes. Um, you mentioned your UK tour uh, with you and uh, your that makes IP it colleagues. Sound <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm picturing a tour bus. And <laughs> you're heading bus, round. There were speakers, light yeah. shows. <laughs> uh, we, we had a very enjoyable uh, evening in Bristol hearing from family businesses and obviously those that um, serve family businesses. Um, I got the opportunity to, to sit in on and listen to, to that event. But for those that didn't, what were sort of come up some of the challenges, some of the um, opportunities that family businesses were speaking about? No one's going to pretend that it's an easy time for business. You know, coming out of two years of lockdowns and pandemic, where they have been kind of it's been exhausting for the individuals involved in, in pivoting these businesses and keeping them going. But there's also been a huge amount of disruption that people have had to adapt to. And then coming out of that into record inflation, you know, record increases in energy prices, recession, um, you know, a really, really low levels of consumer confidence. It is an incredibly challenging time. And all of those things were things that came up in the discussion. And there was a lot of kind of people could point to a lot of difficulties within every sector, basically. You know, some people were having issues with energy costs, regard, almost regardless of the sector um, and supply chain issues and all these sorts of things. So it was... We, we did hear a lot of challenges, definitely. I think what was also very interesting is how positive people were about the long-term outlook for the sector and for family businesses generally, that people really pointed to the resilience of the businesses. Those older businesses could say, you know, we have been through challenging times before, we have managed to survive, and we are confident that we will have a difficult year two but we will get out the other side and actually a lot of the businesses in the room didn't want to talk about the difficult stuff the the short-term difficulties that they're seeing many of them wanted to talk about the longer-term resilience and talk about their optimism for the future for the model um, and the strengths that they saw within the model that they thought put them in a good place so um, for example their kind of long-term outlook their resilience um, the fact that they don't don't have high levels of debt um, the fact they have very strong personal connections with customers and suppliers and that can make difficult conversations you know sometimes smoother and there's a high level of trust amongst them so that was seen as a real kind of advantage one of the issues that did really come up in the conversations was skills and people and just the availability of the people and skills and kind of also the challenges around the workforce still settling into the post-pandemic world. We have not, I don't think, really established what the future way of working looks like. Some businesses are kind of trying to be fully back in the office. Others are fully still away from the others. Others are trying hybrid working. Some people are struggling to kind of get people into a rhythm and a routine. Um, and there are skill shortages across the country in all sorts of sectors. But one of, again, one of the interesting things was how people were talking about, well, actually, you know, we're really upskilling our people, we're offering really good kind of apprenticeships, whatever it might be to attract people. And that many people felt that actually being a family business gave you a really good 
advantage in the skills market because increasingly people want to work for a business where it's not just about the salary that you take home at the end of the day it's about the business the kinds of business that you're working for the purpose what are you all working together the value the cultures of that business it's not enough just to get paid a certain amount you actually want to feel valued and part of something that you believe in and what and they're that's somewhere that family businesses have a real kind of advantage in the market because they do have such a strong sense of purpose. They do have such strong values. And we see all the time when we go around talking to businesses, you'll go to a business where there'll be multiple generations of a family working there, not the owning family, other families. And I think mm. that's testament to what good employers they are because you wouldn't recommend to your children that they should work somewhere if you didn't think it was a good place to work. And I think that small things like that send a really strong signal. Um, so I think that, again, like the family businesses really felt that there was a real opportunity for them in the kind of the war for talent as it's sometimes described in yeah. positioning themselves as family businesses and as good employers um one of the other interesting things that came up when we were talking about people within the businesses was the importance of non-family and mm. how important many people kind of were increasingly realizing that the role of a really trusted non-family person within a senior level of the business was whether that's you know whether that's the someone on the board or you know someone in the exec who could challenge your way of thinking bring in new ideas as well and also kind of just shake up the way that you think about stuff so I think that there was a lot of optimism actually amongst a very challenging background but it's also interesting that the family businesses were thinking about these longer term issues like skills and like people, which isn't something you're going to solve overnight. Um, it's something that's going to need a kind of cultural change or a, a big push in a certain direction. Um, yeah, so so challenging, but positive at the same time, I think. Yeah, th there's a few things in there that are, are resonating with the, the conversations that I've been having as well with, with some of the families that I'm working with. Uh, and the, the kind of, as we were emerging from uh, the COVID pandemic and, and getting a bit more of a handle on, on what that might um, look like and, and involve for people. A, a lot of people talked about the new normal mm. and that new normal being, well, there would be hybrid working and then there would be this and there would be that. Um, you mentioned as well the people striving for something more purposeful in terms of the work in which they're doing and the competitive advantage that family firms can have um, in, in that space. I think now because we're seeing things like energy prices increase and that kind of cost of living crisis whereas people were thinking well i can spend more time at home um sort of cozy at home um instead of going into the office it's now like well if if the heating is so expensive at home then maybe i need to go and spend more time in the office and so our kind of ideas around what that new normal could look like i think has been disrupted by the fact that we've now got a set of market conditions that you know, don't necessarily align to, to that hybrid way of um, doing things. Um, I think as well, it, it you mentioned about the um, skills shortage. It, it is a very competitive market in, in terms of recruitment. And there are certain sectors that I've been talking to where they've had, this issue has been building for a number of years. It's been a lack of sort of training and investment 
maybe as long ago as five, ten years ago, that's now led to there not being the right type of people in, in with the skills at, at the moment. And so I think we can't we can't ignore the fact that there are some um, headwinds. Um, but it's great to hear that there's that optimism amongst those that um, you're speaking with um, and the, the wider family business community because that long-term view is such an important aspect of um, family businesses that I think is going to really come into its own over the next um, six to 24 months. Yeah, I think, you know, skills, I think, is one of those things we've been talking about for a very long time. Um, in terms of the kind of political levers around skills, you know, we would like to see some big changes to the apprenticeship levy. It just doesn't kind of work for businesses at the moment. It's not working for 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 people who might get apprentices apprenticeships either. You know, if it doesn't work for business, they won't offer enough apprenticeships and therefore it won't kind of stimulate that. But I think that there are kind of these big challenges, particularly around um you know, as we have an aging workforce, how are we creating good quality work for people? And how are we upskilling them throughout their working life? Because we're kind of and then we've got like net zero, which is going to require a major skills overhaul. There's all these different elements. And it does kind of require some quite big thinking, I think, to really get us to where we need to be as a country, which is growing, creating more jobs, uh, seeing businesses thrive. And part of the temptation when market conditions are um, trickier is to get heads down and just work on getting through that period of time. And I guess what we were hearing in in the um, roadshow side of things was that the there needs to be that balance. It's kind of yes, we've got the immediacy of of what's happening, but as we're taking longer term views, we can afford to take longer term decisions rather than just focusing on what's happening on on the here and now and I guess that's an important element as well of considering you know where um, skills shortages might be is actually let's look further ahead rather than what's the immediate here and now. Yeah the hibernation point is kind of uh, it's a real worry because if we if we've had a kind of a decade of low productivity growth and just low growth generally Um, We had this huge interruption with the pandemic and now we really need to be kind of setting course for future growth to get where we need to be and to kind of make up for some lost time there. Um, And and hopefully we will see more of that. You know, we have we have a new prime minister, we have a new chancellor, a new business secretary. And we really hope that we can see still very early days, but um, (laughs) we've already seen the autumn statement, you know, within a few weeks of them coming into office. But hopefully we can see more on what their plan is, what their longer term plan is, because that's the Mm -hmm. challenge for family businesses is when there is a change in government or there is a change in, um, you know, even even individual ministers that often that completely overhauls the policy. Well, actually, what family businesses tell us they want is kind of long-term stability and pre-autumn statement kind of stability was my was my buzzword, um, uh-huh. as it was for lots of people. But, um, you know, we do want to have that understanding of what is the government's long-term ambition for growth. Um, and then we as we as kind of representatives of this sector can make sure that's going to work for family businesses, but also make sure the family business voice is heard because the kind of way that policy is often made on very short-term cycles isn't going to work for, you know, family businesses that are planning their investment over the long term. Absolutely. And we are just um, a few days post-autumn statement. So I guess it's timely for us to perhaps spend a couple of minutes just looking at 
what was um, announced, what was announced that was, you know, what is going to come in over the next few years that's going to impact on those um, family businesses listening. Now, I appreciate that that we have a global audience with the the podcast, um, and this is a very UK focused um, statement. But I think it's important to understand the challenges that that everybody's facing in, in that sense, uh, and to to give um, kind of an overview of of what's happened in the UK statement is, is important. So what were the things that stood out for you in, in terms of um, the statement we heard last week? So, yeah, as you say, last week, the Chancellor delivered the autumn statement. It was, you know, only two months after the previous Chancellor's mini budget, uh, which certainly, um, you know, had some extreme reactions uh, to that one. Um, so Jeremy Hunt, when he kind of set out this statement this last week, said, you know, his priorities were stability and growth and public services. And I think you'll have seen from all business groups, all business representatives in the weeks leading up to the statement, stability was the key message. And that was what he was really kind of trying to push for. I think that's also why we saw a lot of the... Um, the announcements pre-announced as we refer to it um because i think there was one they wanted to kind of really not blindside anybody with um decision or with decisions or statements so we kind of did expect a lot of what was in there there was some rumored changes that were maybe going to come around rates for capital gains tax which didn't emerge which we're very pleased about um, there were changes around dividend tax and capital gains tax allowances, which I think will really hurt hurt small business owners who rely on dividends and who didn't get a huge amount of support during the pandemic and so will already be struggling and feeling it's a difficult time. So that, that I think, is a, is a difficult decision to have made. Um, there was still no clarity on the energy support package for business. Um, we weren't expecting that in this statement. We're expecting some more clarity on that pre-Christmas because to remind your listeners, the support for businesses as it's currently structured um, only lasts until the end of March, beginning of April next year. And the government said it will do more targeted business support over after that. So we weren't expecting it in the autumn statement and we didn't see it in the autumn statement but we are expecting some clarity on the kinds of sectors or the kinds of businesses that will get support pre-Christmas on that one. There were big ticket items like business rates so business rates is an ongoing issue um, and has been for many years and there's been talk about kind of major overhaul and reform of that. There wasn't that big overhaul. There was some um, kind of transitionary relief to, because as it stands, business rates are meant to go up by about 10.1% in April, the same time that businesses are potentially also facing a massive increase in their energy costs. So that's another thing that we said, this double whammy is going to be hugely damaging for a lot of businesses. There's some relief on that in terms of just reducing kind of the impact of that massive rise and a bit of transitionary relief around which um which band you're going to be in and there's an extension of some relief for retail and hospitality and leisure businesses as well but we would have liked to have seen kind of more movement on the fundamental reform of the system because that is something that people have been talking about for a long time um alongside that there was also There have been rumours about an online sales tax as part of the kind of how we're going to move forward and address the business rates issues. 
that the government said in this in the documents supporting the um supporting the autumn state and then not going ahead with the online sales tax for now um which was an interesting decision i think there was some increases in terms of employer costs so the national living wage is going to be going up by about 9.7% um there's also going to be an in, um the level the threshold at which employers start paying secondary uh, national insurance contributions has been fixed as well so that's kind of a fiscal drag measure but the employment allowance remains so for smaller businesses they'll still have some relief there there was a mixed picture on R&D. Um, although the R&D tax credits were reduced for SMEs, the government did maintain the overall kind of government spend on R&D, that, which is kind of going to go up by about 20 to about 20 billion a year by 2024, 25. So, there was that kind of short-term taking away the R&D tax credits, um, but protecting the public spending on R&D, which I think protecting that public spending is important when you're talking Mm. about long-term decision-making. The same, um, the government protected the public capital budget for infrastructure. So things like HS2, East-West Rail, the kind of core Northern Powerhouse Rail, and the Project Gigabits, funding has all been protected so not there is a temptation at times like this economically to slash those big ticket items just to keep the cash in the reserves but Mm. actually i think the decision not to make that short-term decision that has massive long-term consequences because these infrastructure projects take such a long time to deliver that actually i think that was a good move um there was some positive news i think on i mentioned it apprenticeship uh, apprenticeships earlier there was some positive news on um the appointment of sir michael barber to set out how the government's going to implement the reforms from the skills for jobs white paper so that includes things like the lifelong learning entitlement t levels higher technical qualifications skills boot camps and things so not forgetting skills i think was important as well um so it was quite um it was it was it's a challenging time i mean nobody's gonna pretend that it's not and there are on the personal tax side obviously there's a freeze to income tax thresholds a reduction in the highest rate band all this kind of fiscal drag measures but i think that um there were some signs of where the government's going to go longer term that were positive but i just think i would have liked to have seen a bit more on signaling intentions for where they were going to look and focus on the future. I know that with kind of three weeks, you can't put together a huge <laughs> amount of kind of spent, particularly spending interventions, but um, some more signals. And I hope that this side of Christmas, we see more detail from Grant Shapps as the business secretary about what the longer term plan is on business. Um, because I think, you know, we need to stimulate growth. We need to stimulate productivity improvement. We need to stimulate investment. And uh, we can't take our eye off the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess as well, we've touched on this a couple of times during this conversation, obviously our previous conversations as well, in terms of your role with the IFB in, in looking at policy and external affairs. This statement at least now gives you something to, to go back back on right because it was previously that there was the mini budget 
there was then a reaction from the market that created a lot of instability, which then had to, we kind of knew what was going to be rode back on and, and what was going to be um, looked at. At least now there has been this statement that goes, okay, and then you can start um, be, being um, vocal with uh, within your role based on that rather than speculation. And um, it, it's something tangible to, to go for, right? Yeah, I think, you know, the usefulness of a statement like this is, as you say, there's the opportunity to feed in before to make sure that things you want either make the cut or aren't done, which is as important a part of (laughs) public affairs as anything is making sure that bad things aren't introduced as well as that good things are. Um, I think, you know, we are very clear on we need to grow and we need to not take our eye off the long term. And that's what we're going to continue to push for. We can react to these some of these short term measures. We're feeding in on what the new energy support should look like and things. Um, I think that long term plan is really important. Um, we also have at some point in the next couple of years, probably have an election. So we're, we're engaging kind of with politicians across the board to make sure that they all understand what family businesses need. My role is not just about talking to the government, whoever the government of the day is. It's about talking to all policymakers. So they all understand, A, the kind of role and value of the sector, but also what they need specifically. Um, and, you know, the stability point was key. People felt very you know, that the market movement had huge impact on pensions and things, but it also had a huge impact on business confidence. So Mm. stabilizing some of that, the fact that there was an OBR forecast to go alongside this was a huge deal. Um, And we will see, okay, where do we go from here? Mm. And if people are listening to this and have particular views on uh, a certain policy or a certain um, objective that would assist them they can get in touch right they can say Fiona can we talk to you about this and that's part of your role as, again within uh, the IFB and the IFB in general is to to champion that voice of um, family business and to, to elevate it yeah absolutely I'd also really strongly encourage kind of along the lines of what we're trying to do with family business week to talk to your MP like if there are things that you really need if there are things that you really like <laughs> if there are things you really dislike that the government are doing then all of those things are important for your mp to know they're there to represent you you're an important part of their constituency um but i really highlight the kind of if there are things that you like and that are working for you it's important for your mp to know because people often go to their mp to complain about things that aren't working completely valid um and the important part of you know communicating with your MP but often the feedback they get is about stuff that doesn't work and that means that when something comes up for is it going to be renewed if it's a business support program or you know some kind of intervention um and none nobody has kind of said to them actually I really love this this has been phenomenally helpful to us then it's difficult for them to decide well actually should we continue with this so it's really important to tell them about the things that are working as well um uh-huh. strongly encourage that because for example yeah. so the help to grow scheme which uh helped to grow management which was launched by rishi sunak when he was chancellor which is about um gives business support that people can go to um 
business schools and things and do learning that way for small businesses. I'm hearing fantastic feedback about that. Um, there were then some rumours that pre-autumn statement that that might be cut back. Um, it, it didn't happen. But, you know, I, I know that a lot of people who work kind of with small businesses particularly were saying, this is really valuable. This is what's, you know, people are saying this is a good scheme. Please don't change it. Because mm. for businesses, that kind of constant changing of the goalposts and uh, and around what support is available and to who and how you access it is really disruptive because businesses have got a full-time job running their business. They don't have yeah. time to understand and navigate an ever-changing business support landscape. Yeah, absolutely. And we've touched on that as part of your role in, in terms of your specific job role that the um uh, policy and external affairs but, but there is if we broaden the conversation out around what other work the IFB do and I, I know you work in, in conjunction with, with other um, teams as well what are some of the other areas that the IFB are um, particularly getting involved in at the moment? So our job is to support family businesses so on my side that's kind of predominantly making sure that the regulatory environment is supportive um, for them and to champion them but what we also do is we have a network um, and create connections between family businesses so that they can kind of tackle the core family business issues but also other kind of bigger challenges longer term trends things like that so we provide support in a number of different ways that's through events and learning and through um those connections and through offering advice and kind of support articles that kind of thing we are looking at all sorts of kind of different themes so as i said you know the core issues around that we always do will be around family business governance and uh succession and kind of the the model and how that influences how you Act. But then we also have um, this year we've relaunched our next gen community. So that is bringing together members of the next generation to get together and to build a network for themselves and to share their experiences, hear from some great speakers, um, talk about the kind of challenges that they're facing and kind of a peer network that they can learn from. We've also launched um, a community for chairs in family businesses. So being in that role is really important and uh, quite challenging sometimes so that they can get together. And then next year, we're looking at launching communities um, for non-family within family businesses. So I think that that is a, an interesting place to be, particularly if you're the only non-family person in the exec. Mm -hmm. That's quite a challenge. And um, I'm creating a network for those people, um, which I think is going to be really important. And then also for non-executive directors because increasingly we're talking to people about the role of non-exec directors. We launched a, a kind of a guide, a, um, a report a couple of years ago on that, uh, no, last year on that. And um, we've been talking more and more to people about non-executive directors. But, uh -huh. you know, next year we have quite an ambitious events programme planned. We're going to be doing stuff around the country. We are going to be looking at... Um, kind of what it means to be a responsible business how do you grow responsibly what are the challenges you're going to face what are the opportunities that you're that you have um particularly looking at the role of people within the businesses so whether that is family whether that's non-family um so yeah we have an exciting year planned so an ambitious events program online content these communities where people can join and be part of those 
and then also on the championing um, and advocacy side, which is what I'm doing. And then there's our sister organisation, the IFB Research Foundation, which is a separate charity, which does amazing work exploring the sector and putting together research on what the sector looks like, the scale of the contribution that it makes to the economy, the kind of challenges that they're facing, but then also deep dives into specific kind of um, topics of interest with guides and support um, out for businesses, kind of practical, tangible support. So they've done something recently on family business governance, which is really interesting, looks at the way that family businesses kind of structure their governance, What's what are people using, what works really well. They've also um, done something called community engagement, which was very interesting. And then they also have this set of family business challenges guides, which are kind of a snapshot of planning your succession what do you do how should you think about it and each one has a case study so they've got all these kind of different resources that they put out there yeah it's fantastic and one of the um, other areas that they work in is obviously they publish um, like sector reports and, and updates on on that side and as well as this being family business week this mini series is kind of focusing on um, some of the myths that perhaps we hear around family businesses so in order to to tie the two together what are sort of some of the more common things that you hear and it kind of makes you grind your teeth a little bit we go oh, we, it's not that it's not the case so I think one of the things that I hear a lot is that or this perception that family businesses is somehow a thing of the past and there aren't very many of them around anymore and it's something that used to exist and doesn't anymore um but actually that's completely incorrect um so this the ivory research foundation's latest report which is going to come out shortly shows that um you know there are nearly five million family businesses they employ nearly 14 million people um so that is not a small sector by any stretch of the imagination um and actually what they're so they've been putting together that sector report for the past 10 years or so and what we've seen over that time is an increase in family businesses over time um now we have the data to kind of back that up because they've been doing it for such a long time and people are starting new family businesses because they want to work with their family because they understand the kind of the special source that comes with being a family and business together um but also you know entrepreneurs are thinking well what am I going to do with this business actually you know what I'd really like this to continue I don't want to just sell it I want to kind of continue in the family or my family are really interested in it so let's continue the legacy so I think that there's this idea that people don't want to be in family businesses anymore that they don't exist and actually when you ask people, when I talk to people, they, I, they often kind of can point to a family business that they know or they love, maybe on their local high street or, you know, one of the national brands. And, but they kind of always assume that that's not replicated everywhere, wow. <laughs> not replicated in every village and every high street and every town and every city. Um, and it really is. And I think that the sector is resilient as well so one of the other things that the the new report shows is that you know it looks at kind of the time period of the pandemic so it does show that actually family businesses you know did have a really difficult time and lots of them did close and that's not a surprise because lots of businesses closed and um, lots of small businesses particularly really struggled and so um, 
that doesn't surprise us, I think. But it also shows that family businesses were less likely to make people redundant or less likely Mm. to lay off staff. And I think that that's something we've seen now in more than one recession or difficult economic time that family businesses are less likely to make people redundant. Um, And I think that that's actually kind of points to their resilience, that they understand that this is a difficult time but we will get past this and when we get out the other side we really want to have these skills and these people here to carry on the journey with us so I think that that's an interesting kind of point um I think there's also myths around the size of the uh, kind of not only the kind of size of the whole sector but that all family businesses are small actually Mm. about half of all mid-sized businesses in the UK are family businesses so we talk a lot about the Mittelstand in the UK and how if only we had this Mittelstand that Germany has what that would mean for our economy but actually we have a Mittelstand some Mm. people have referred to it as the Brittlestand which I'm not a fan (laughs) of we do have that mid-sized business you know we have a good number of mid-sized businesses they are strong long-running businesses and you know around half of them are family owned and they have all the same kind of long-term values-led characteristics that the Mittelstand businesses do as well so let's really celebrate those um, and recognize them and actually make sure that policy recognizes them as well um and then personally I think one of the other things that I have heard sometimes is that kind of family businesses are old-fashioned well I completely disagree with that because you do not become a successful multi-generational family business if you are not adapting and innovating and growing and the sector report again points to that it points to you know the fact that businesses are investing in their people they are investing in their products and services they're looking at new ideas they're doing all of these things to continue to grow because they understand that to be a sustainable business you have to evolve um there's many businesses within our network that i know started in one industry you know 100 200 years ago and somewhere completely different now because yep. that's what business has to do to survive and to adapt so i think that's one of the myths And then kind of go back to the thing we were talking about earlier about the purpose being a really strong opportunity for family businesses when it comes to people. I think often I kind of feel calls from journalists who want to write something about how family, the next gen in family business doesn't want to join the family business. And I'm saying kind of not true Um, because the next gen in those businesses do want to work in them because like other people they want to work somewhere where they have a really strong sense of purpose and where do you have a stronger sense of purpose than in building your family business so i think that you know the we are in difficult kind of times it's going to be a difficult winter for all businesses i think but actually when you look at the fundamentals underpinning the family business model and the family business sector there's a huge amount to be optimistic about yeah, I completely agree. And I think that's a fantastic way to, to conclude on our conversation today is that despite the fact that there might be some um, sort of doom and gloom headlines out there and there's no denying that it is going to be difficult for um, many, many people, there is a huge amount of reason to be optimistic as well. And for those businesses that are listening, if you are looking for support in that, I would 
strongly recommend, particularly UK-based businesses, to, to reach out to the IFB because it is a fantastic community. Um, it's a great organisation, as Fiona says, to support uh, and help uh, family businesses. So I would strongly recommend that that is something um, they do, as well as share their um, stories for Family Business Friday. Um, Fiona, where can people get in touch? How can they find out more about um, you and what you do? So you can find out more about the IFB at ifb.org.uk. You can find out more about Family Business Week at familybusinessweek.co.uk. Um, you can share my email in the show notes. Uh, you can become one of my four Twitter followers by <laughs> as well. We'll put my Twitter handle in there. Um, but yeah, or, or connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn, Fiona Graham. So fantastic and um, we will link that up and um just be prepared for your twitter following to um skyrocket as a result of the power of this um, global audience <laughs> next time i'm here i'll set up a tiktok and we can <laughs> share sounds, that as well <laughs> sounds good um fiona thank you very much for your time um and uh, good luck with the rest of family business week great thank you very much Thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it. If you found the show helpful, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and remember to subscribe to our newsletter. If what I've covered in the show resonates with what you are facing in your own family business, I can help. I provide consultancy support to family businesses of all sizes, so please get in touch if you'd like to know more. Head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. Until next time, take care.